Sermon number 635, It Always Begins with Naomi, preached in the First Presbyterian Church on Sunday, February 18th, 1973. The text is Ruth, the first chapter, the first 19 verses. Nineteen verses of the first chapter of what many people call the most beautiful love story ever told. Hear the word of God. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and their two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpha, the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, but both Malan and Kilian died, so that the woman was bereft of her two sons and her husband. Then she started with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and had given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find a home, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb, that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, and Ruth clung to her. And she said, Sister, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you, nor to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. 
Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if even death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, Naomi said no more. Beautiful. But the book of Ruth in the Bible is more than a story of love. We sometimes forget that it is also the history of a conversion. This book points up in a very beautiful way through the way of a love story that one particular constant factor that always points and helps to point in a direction when anyone is standing at that crossroads called decision. It all started this incident about 3,000 years ago. In that particular era of time, which the Bible calls the period of the judges, it appears as though the rain clouds and prosperity and productivity had lost their way to that southern part of modern-day Israel, then called Judah, especially over that little town of Bethlehem. The sheep were dying out in the field from lack of moisture, and the earth was not bringing forth its increase. And a certain Jew by the name of Elimelech and his wife, Naomi, he took her and their two sons out of the Negev, across the Jordan River, on the other side of the Dead Sea, to the land called Moab, to find food and work. Now, it's not a far distance from Bethlehem to Moab. In miles, it's only a distance of approximately 30 miles. But in distance, which you measure in mind thoughts and in traditions, in ideas and in religion, it was a far, far peace. But you see, the people in that particular day had a very strange, unique, and terrible nationalism. Everybody was taught that the only nation that really counted in the sight of God and man was his own. People were actually taught in each nation to despise and be suspicious of people of other, other races, other races and of other nations. They even believed that God was only a God of a particular locale. If you lived in Moab, you worshipped one kind of God. If you lived in Egypt, you worshipped other kinds of God, gods, and even the people who lived in Israel, they too believed that the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and Joshua 
That God was the God of Israel alone and no other nation. So when Elimelech and Naomi and their sons Malan and Kilian went over to Moab, they left not only their country, they thought, but they left their people and they left their God. Now it wasn't easy in Moab, and just a few months after the transition, the head of the household, the husband father, Elimelech, he died. And he left Naomi, not only to earn a living, but to raise two young sons in a heathen land. And the sons didn't help too much because doing what comes naturally, they fell in love. And each of them came to their mother and told their mother that they were going to take a wife, a woman not only from another nation, but a woman of another faith. And just as many fathers and mothers have come to that particular crossroad in life. So Naomi knew what it was to have to welcome in love and in sincerity and with acceptance girls of a different nation and of a different faith into her own home. That wasn't bad enough. Within a few years, both Malan and Killian died. And now Naomi was left with two daughters-in-law, who I'm sure she loved, but daughters-in-law which were from a different nation and who had a different faith. She was left with them in a very pagan land with very heathen ideas. Soon word came that rain clouds and prosperity had returned to Bethlehem and Naomi wanted to go home. So she announced to those two other women who were living with her, she was going again and cross now the other way, the Jordan River, and go back to Judah. And the girl said, we'll go with you. No, 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 Naomi protested. But the girls packed their suitcases and they began to walk through the land of Moab towards the Jordan River. And the whole way on that journey, Naomi tried to persuade these girls to turn back to their own people, to their own God. But the girls said no. But Naomi was partially successful. For when they got to the Jordan River, perhaps, or for the one daughter-in-law, she responded. And though she had tears in her eyes and her heart was breaking, she nevertheless turned and returned to the land of Moab. But Ruth could not do this. Ruth, you see, was also standing at the crossroad of decision. And it was then that she composed those words which lovers have been reciting for generations. Words which I think are more familiar to us in the King James Version. Entreat me not to leave thee, nor to return from following after thee. For Naomi, wherever thou goest, I shall go, and where thou lodgest, 
I shall lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Very beautiful, but what so often we do not realize when we hear and study those words is that they are not only the words of a lover, but they are also the history of conversion. For at this very moment we see a woman, she has changed her nation, her allegiance to a particular people, her change for the worship of another god. And when you begin to ask the question, why, you begin to see that Ruth changed and chose Naomi's land, Ruth changed and chose Naomi's people, Ruth changed and chose Naomi's God, because Ruth had already accepted Naomi, who had a part in changing her. That's it. And that's, that's perhaps the first, first lesson that we should learn from this love story and this history of conversion. <coughs> Namely, that when anyone, be it Ruth, Naomi, you or me, when anyone stands at the crossroads of decision, our decisions are reached not only by facts, but by feelings. We don't often like to admit it, but that the conclusions that we sometimes draw are made not only in the mind, but also in the heart. And in practically every decision we make, we are drawn not only by the argument of a principle, but also by the admiration we have for a person. You see, we are psychosomatic human beings. So is Ruth. And when we are called to make a decision or to draw on a conclusion, all of us is polled and all of us votes. And that decision is made not only on what goes on up in the head, but also what goes on in the heart. We take into consideration not only the facts, but also our feelings. We understand the arguments, but we also respect the admiration we have for someone involved in that decision. Now let's understand that and let's accept it. There's nothing wrong with it. That's the way the human being is made. Jesus understood this. That's why he spoke to the heart as well as to the mind. That's why he said if we're ever going to enjoy life, worship God and love one another, we've got to do it not just with the mind, but with the whole heart, soul, spirit, and strength as well. Whenever one stands on the crossroads of decision, that decision which any one of us reaches involves not only facts, but feelings. Not only what goes on in our heads, but what goes on in our hearts. Not only from arguments do we reach the decisions, but also they are reached from the admirations that we have. The decisions, you see, always begin with some Naomi, a Naomi who touches us, for whom we have a feel, 
for whom we have a touch of the heart, whom we admire. And don't ever forget it. Naomi, you see, she is always the one who, though it may not be easy for her, she always makes belief easier for other people. Naomi did not have it easy in the land of Moab. It wasn't easy to go through all that sickness and place in the grave not only the most important man in her life, but the most important three men in her life. It wasn't easy to welcome heathen girls into your own home and call them, in sincerity, their own, your own daughters, her own daughters. It wasn't easy, you know, to, to pray to her own God and to continue in the tradition of her Jewish ways without giving offense to these daughters whom, or these girls whom her sons had brought home as daughters-in-law and also the other people who lived in that heathen land. But Naomi did it. She did it so beautifully. And I mean beautifully not only in her personal expression, but also in her patriotism and in her loyalty and in her sincere, real worship of God, that there's people who could not understand her, at least they could not help but accept her and choose her to be someone of love for themselves. You know, that's the way it always works. When you, our minds are so easily changed when somebody like Naomi is so beautiful in her expression for her country, for her people, for her religion. Some of us saw this just last fall when we went to the Middle East. Before we went last October, I must admit I was somewhat apprehensive because of that fighting which has been going on over there for so many years between the Arab and the Jew. And especially just before we went, you remember we had the incident which will go down in history as the massacred at Munich, where so many Jewish Olympic people were slaughtered. And just before that, we had that senseless killing of so many people in the low airport. You know, you see, I was born in the Philippines. I'm a Filipino, and I was raised a good Roman Catholic. Home. When I graduated from high school, I came to one of your first things to come back. I graduated from high school. And when I opened it, there stood my new friend in a open coat that was dripping wetness. And over the arm, two umbrellas. He said, I know it is wet, I know it is hard to find the Roman Catholic Church, I have come to take you there myself. When I dressed, I couldn't help but wonder, what kind of a man is this? As we walked later under the two umbrellas on the wet, covered streets, I thought, what kind of a religion is this that this man has that he is concerned about my religion? What church do you go to, I said? 
He said, oh, my church is right around the corner. Well, let's go to and we'll go to my church. United. And 